Kathleen has a story, a beautiful, wonderful story that I asked her to share with the church. And so welcome, Kathleen. Two years ago, I found out that someone had betrayed our family in a way that was unimaginable. And after that, I was incredibly angry, hurt. I could not even imagine forgiving this person. Although if you had asked me if I had, I probably would have said yes, and I might have even thought that I had. But I hadn't. I was so angry <laughs> that I wanted this person to get hit by a bus, literally. Um, and I justified my anger because I didn't want them to spend eternity in hell. I just didn't want to see them on this earth anymore. Uh, but God, always but God. Um, a few months ago during his series on surrender, Pastor Mitch shared a message called, I can't do that. When I am weak, he is strong. And his message wasn't specifically about forgiveness. It was about how impossible God's commands are for us to accomplish without him. We can't, so we have to say that. So Mitch shared with us, I can't do that, but all things are possible with God. So I have no excuse not to do it. Jesus, help me. By your grace, I will obey. One of the commands that Mitch used as an example was that we are commanded to forgive others. And he asked who had tried and who wanted to. Not me. I had no desire. I hadn't tried. Didn't want to. In that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me that I needed to forgive this person. And God told me that he couldn't and wouldn't move in the situation and bring justice until I forgave this person. And my chest constricted and my stomach turned and tears quietly rolled down my cheeks, which I really hope no one noticed because it was way too early in the sermon for me to be crying about it. I don't remember much from the rest of the sermon because I was reeling in this need to forgive this person, but I did not want to and I did not think I could. Every time that Mitch had a say, I can't do that but all things are possible with God, so I have no excuse not to do it. Jesus, help me. By your grace, I will obey. I would repeat it, not very wholeheartedly at first. I was so angry, I was basically throwing the largest temper tantrum you can imagine internally. My thoughts continued on this throughout the afternoon. I'd think about forgiving this person, and I would want to vomit. I was so angry. What if they never got caught? What if there was no consequences, no justice? I really thought I might have a better plan for this, which is totally, totally ridiculous. But I just thought, no, I'm not willing to let that go. I'm going to punish this person in my head, which makes no sense. Round and around, my mind went until I was finally ready to admit that I definitely could not do it but I was willing to try. I found myself a place to sit, and I cried, and I prayed, and I cried some more, and I told God I was sorry that I didn't trust him to handle the situation, and that if he would help me, I would try to forgive this person. And I just spoke what Mitch had taught that morning over and over. I cannot do this, Lord, but all things are possible with you. So I have no excuse to not forgive. I didn't really like that one. Jesus, help me, because I cannot do this on my own. But by your grace, I will choose to obey. 
And as I spoke this over and over and over, something broke, shifted, lifted, and suddenly I felt lighter, and this thing I had refused to give up was gone. And I remember being amazed that it had happened so simply. Could I really have been having an emotional meltdown, freak out, tantrum just before, and then just let go? Yes, yes, because his strength was made perfect in my weakest moment. Once I admitted that I could not make myself forgive and I asked for his help, he gratefully and thankfully accepted the weight that I was surrendering to him. He'd just been waiting on me to admit I couldn't do it. And since that afternoon, I have not felt anger or unforgiveness towards this person. I don't feel anxious when their name comes up. And God truly took it. It still amazes me how simple it was. It was not easy, but it was simple. Thank you, Jesus. That when we are weak, you are strong. That your strength is made completely perfect when we admit we are completely weak. Thank you for what you did for Kathleen and for each and every one of us. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I don't understand why surrender is so hard. It's the hardest thing to just let go. We choose again this morning to surrender, to trust you. To believe that you are who you say you are and that you will do what you say you will do. So we let it go and let you be the king and the savior and the redeemer and the judge. and Let you be God. Thank you for your beautiful, beautiful salvation. Amen. Thank you, Kathleen. All right, Exodus 33, 7 says Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And it came about that everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. This may have been the actual tabernacle tent, or it may have been an additional tent, but Moses would go away from the crowd, away from the people, and set up a tent, and the Shekinah glory pillar of fire of God would come and rest over that tent, and Moses would talk to God. Anybody else that needed to transact business with God would go there. It's called the tent of meeting, and I just want to highlight again, I know I mentioned this last week, but three times this verse says, away from the camp, away from the people is vitally important that for us to meet with God, we have to get away from the world. We've got to get away from our phone, away from the distractions and the to-do list and our chores that are hanging over our head and all the people that want our attention. And we've got to have private time alone with God, away from the camp. So in the old covenant, you had to go to the tabernacle or the tent, offer a sacrifice and get made clean so that you could be worthy to approach a holy God in this holy location. All religion has that. You have to go to the Hindu temple. You have to go to the mosque. You have to go to the cathedral and, and find God in a place. But in the new, the new covenant, since Jesus has redeemed us and he is the ultimate sacrifice, the, the holy place is now in here. For every born-again believer, this is the holy place. This is where we meet with God right here. Uh, we don't have to make repeated sacrifices. We don't have to get clean so that we can talk to God. Jesus has made us clean and worthy to come before the presence of a holy God. And we carry holiness in our very bodies. 
But Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that it's still very important that we have a place where we meet with God. In Matthew 6, 6, Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room, or some of the older translations say your closet, because the Greek word that Jesus used there means a small interior room. So go into your room or go into your closet, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Pray to your Father who is in the secret place. Here's the secret place in here, in my soul, in your soul if you're born again. There's the secret place. That's where you meet with God. But Jesus said, take yourself, your secret place, and go into an interior room, meaning get away from the rest of the world and shut the door. Turn off your phone, get away from the distractions, and get private. So some people do have what they call their prayer closet. Most people probably don't go into a small interior room, but maybe you've seen the movie The War Room or whatever, and, and people do that. It gets called a devotional or a quiet time or I'm having my prayer time or I'm in my prayer closet. Whatever language we want to use for it is fine, but even in the New Covenant where we carry God around with us and we can talk to him at any moment, any time, Jesus said it's still vitally important that we have a time and a place carved out of our schedule and our life to meet with God. Normally, we're told you need to have your quiet time or your devotional or whatever first thing in the morning. And so I know that a whole bunch of you are super disciplined and you get up and you make your coffee or your tea or whatever you do and you, you grab your Bible and you go and sit in your chair and, and the first thing you do every day is spend time with God. Read your Bible and you pray. But I also know that a whole bunch of you hit snooze four times, jump out of bed late and barely make it to work. And you feel guilty about the fact that you have not ever been super disciplined about morning quiet times with God. I just want to point out again, as I did last week, Jesus didn't ever say that it had to be first thing in the morning. He didn't say that it had to be an hour. He didn't say that it had to be any prescribed anything. He never said you have to read through the Bible in a year. He never said set a stopwatch and make sure that you're there an hour. He didn't say anything like that. He just said, when you pray. So the word of the Lord for us right now, every individual one of us that I heard from the Lord 10 days ago is, build me a tent of meeting. And of course, I, you know, we don't mean a literal tent. If you want to do that, you go right ahead. You go get in your, you go get in your Coleman tent and you, you pray to the Lord. But, but the Lord wants you to build him a, a place, a time in your schedule a place where you meet with him that is holy. That is, Jesus called it the secret place. It's separate from everyone else and no one else is there. It's just you and God. So I'm encouraging you to make it a very serious habit that you take private time with the Lord every day. We all know that it takes self-discipline to do, make ourselves do anything. Diet and exercise don't happen just because we know we should. It doesn't happen just because we really want to be fit. It happens because we actually do it. And it's the same thing with time with God. There has to be habit. There has to be routine. There has to be life change. There has to be schedule change. There has to be self-discipline. But I also want to strongly emphasize God does not want to be your habit. He doesn't want to be your routine. He doesn't want your self-discipline. He wants you to want him. When I'm talking about us meeting with God daily is individual time. There's time for 
group prayer. There's a time for group Bible study, but it is vital that every one of us meet with God alone by ourselves, but that it not be a religious activity, that it not be just empty routine, uh, repetition and routine. Um, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. If you do that, you go right ahead. That's fantastic. But if you have not regularly read your Bible before, don't try that. It's a really hefty assignment to read six or seven chapters a day for a year. Um, don't start with that. Work your way up to that. But what the Lord really wants is just for you to talk with him. Just meet with me and know me. We're not called to be religious or moral people or conservatives. We're called to know God. We're not called to a set of doctrines or a worship style or some specific church or stream of churches. Our faith can't be in any religious exercise. Well, I was baptized years ago, or I pray with my beads, or, or I go to the correct church, or I had a spiritual experience 20 years ago. None of that matters today, except that I know the Lord. So the purpose of, the, of our time in the tent of meeting is, is not to develop a good habit. It's, it's to know the Lord. And so I, I said all that last week, and just wanted to re-highlight that in case some of you weren't here, some of you were watching online and our power went out and, and so on. Of course, we know anything worth doing takes self-discipline and, and we've got to create a routine and create a habit and make it happen. And again, that, that can happen any way you want. If, you, if it's going to be best in your schedule in life, then get up earlier in the morning. That's great. But we've got a guy in the church who goes to work so early in the morning like before 5 a.m., that getting up earlier is not really an option, so he uses his lunch hour. Goes and sits in his car, that's the door between him and the world. Shut the door, sit in my car, turn on worship music, read my Bible, and pray for his lunch hour, however long that is. Maybe for you, it's going to work while the kids are off at school, or maybe it's going to work last thing in the evening, I don't know. I told you last week that there was a guy that said when he was a kid, his mother's prayer closet was her flower bed. She'd take a chair and a Bible out every day and sit in her flower bed. And he said, we kids knew. That's mom's time with God. Leave her alone. Don't bother her. Another man I remember hearing, he had lots of siblings. This woman's raising like seven or nine kids or something. And she would get up in the morning and get breakfast and feed everybody. And then she would sit a chair in the middle of the kitchen floor and throw her apron up over her head. And that was her prayer tent. That, and, and the kids knew, do not tap mom on the shoulder even if the house is burning. Do not interrupt mom when she's talking to God. And that can't have been very long. If she's got a bunch of little kids, maybe she's getting 10 minutes max of quiet time under her apron. <laughs> um, and that's just, that's what she could do in her life. That was, that was the time she carved out. That was her secret place. So, what, so we prayed last week about asking the Lord for creative ideas. How does this work in me? How does this work in my schedule and with my kids' ages and work and and all of that. But besides habit and besides self-discipline, which are indispensable, what God really wants is just for us to want him. To, to want this. Not to do it because we're ashamed that we don't. He wants us to do it because we want to. And I read you the quote from C.S. Lewis about this thing in our soul that he called our inconsolable longing for we know not what. That unnameable something the desire for which pierces like a sword, almost like heartbreak, the exquisite pain that is joy. I read you that last Sunday, and on Monday, Kale Elmer and I were 
talking, and he said, at any point during the day, if he will turn his attention to the Lord, he said, the ache is always there. His word was ache, and I thought it was beautiful, and I asked if I could share that, because it's true that our hearts should ache. We just sang as the deer song, that's from Psalms where David said, my soul pants for God. My, I am breathless, God, because I want you. I, I want to be in your presence so much. Harvest let us in. Your presence is all I want and all I seek and all I need. I was talking with Ken Foster on Friday and he said, oh yeah, when I'm alone with God, there's ugly crying and some dangerous driving happens sometimes. And it's true. I'll have worship music on and the spirit of God comes on me and, I, and I, just for love, I'll just start crying like I should not be driving. Um, and Ken said, we can't put it into words. There, there, it's true. There's literally no words. I want to highlight that C.S. Lewis said about this inconsolable longing. He said, I feel a certain shyness. I am committing an indecency because Jesus said it is the secret place. And it is just for you and God alone. And it is really hard to define it. It's hard to talk about it because it's, it's me and God. It's you and God alone. And, and Ken said, we can't share it. No one who's been to the secret place can share it. You can't, you can't drink that from somebody else's experience. You have to go yourself every day. So to those of you who have a routine and it's working for you, praise God. That's great. Your devotional time every morning. I just encourage you to make it personal and interactive and alive. I heard one minister say years ago that if he went three days without weeping in the presence of the Lord, that it scared him. My heart is getting hard if, if I haven't wept for love and worship in the last two days. For those of you who after last Sunday, you tried, but you didn't get it done every week or every day, keep going, keep fumbling, keep fumbling forward. Just, just make time and more every day. For those of you who thought about it after last Sunday, but, and you meant to, but you didn't, you absolutely must make it happen. It is vitally important. Nothing else matters. It's really true. Get alone with God on purpose. Make it happen. Devil's going to try to fill your day with distractions and disruptions like nothing else. As soon as you try. Make it happen. And to those of you who remain unmoved, I hope to provoke you to jealousy this morning. Because what I have for you this morning... The message from the Lord is to every, one, every individual one of us is that God longs for you. The purpose of our tent of meeting, the purpose of our prayer closet, the, our devotional time, our quiet time, whatever language we want to use, is that, that God yearns for us. He desperately wants to know us. And he wants you to know him. And he desires to meet with you individually. Jesus' most common reference of God by far is Father. That's actually almost exclusively what Jesus called him. He has lots of names in scripture and titles and roles. But Jesus called him Father. Hundreds of times probably. 
And I want to show you just two scriptures. There are so many I could have picked. I just want to show you two of how God describes what's in his heart as a father. They're both from the Old Testament. So he's speaking to Israel, but in the New Covenant, it applies to us as well. The name Ephraim is another name for the nation of Israel. And God says this, and he's talking to Israel, but just hear him talking to you, to us as his kids, just hear his father's heart. Is not Ephraim my dear son, the child in whom I delight? Though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him, and I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. God's father heart is that he has great compassion and that he deeply longs to know you and for you to know him. You are his son or his daughter in whom he delights. We, we, saw, we sang the song, I long for you, I yearn for you. Those are words that God uses about you, his heart for you. Those of you who have a child who has cut you off or rejected you in some way and is not part of the family and doesn't want your attention, you know how bad that hurts. That's how God feels about any of his children that aren't coming to him, that aren't in relationship with him. He yearns, even when relationships are broken, which is what that verse is about. He says, I long for you, and I have great compassion on you. And in Isaiah 59, God says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. There's nothing more tender than a new mother nursing an infant. And God says his father heart is more tender than that toward each one of us. If she could forget, which we know she won't, if she can forget the child that's nursing on her breast, then I could forget you. This is not possible. I've carved your name in the palm of my hand. He knows you and he wants to know you. So God presents himself as this father who loves us, who longs for his children, who is more tender than a new mother. And then Jesus says that we have to be like little children in order to enter the kingdom. In order to see heaven, we have to become like little children. And the word in the Greek, little children, means toddler. So I want to talk to you this morning about dads and little kids. The word Jesus used, little children, means two to five years old. Jesus said, you have to see yourself as a toddler with your heavenly father in order to see heaven, in order to understand God. So I want to talk to you about dads and little kids, and everything I'm about to say absolutely applies to mothers too, but God's our father, so that's the language I will use. And I just, I just want to say that I'm talking about you meeting with God every day in your prayer closet, in your, in your quiet time. I just want to say that no one thinks a toddler is selfish or immature when he wants dad's attention. When she's reaching up and says, Daddy, pick me up and hold me on your lap. No one scoffs at that and says, she should be more mature than that. It's, it's ludicrous. It's not immature for a toddler to seek dad's attention. It's not selfish to want dad's comfort to be held, to be loved, to be reassured, to be secure, to be provided for, to be protected. And every good dad wants to give that. 
Every dad wants to pick up his three-year-old, his five-year-old, and sit him on his lap and teach him or comfort him or laugh together, tickle and wrestle. And Every dad is fulfilled by being dad, by giving love. And if, if a four-year-old doesn't want her dad's hugs, something is very wrong. I'm talking about you with God. If a four-year-old doesn't want dad's hugs, something has very badly gone wrong. If that toddler says, I don't need comfort, I don't need to be held, I don't need kisses on my cheek, I don't need attention. If she gets too cool to be hugged by dad or too old to need dad, something's gone wrong. Jesus said we have to be like that little toddler. So child development textbooks, psychologists, counselors, all kinds of people can come up with all kinds of lists for what we need when we're a growing child, what we need from our parents. And there could be a lot of lists. This is just one from a book I read this spring. Um, these are the things that every person needs. I need attention. I need security. I need acceptance. I need to trust. I need guidance. I need protection. And I need to know I'm significant. Every single one of us has these innate needs in our soul and not a single one of these is selfish. Not a single one of these is immature. And we need them when we're nine and when 19 and 79. Every one of us, we never outgrow these needs. And God says, I long for you. I yearn for you. Some of you didn't have a dad in your life at all. Some of you had a dad who was a disaster. And some of you who had dads who did their absolute best. But even those of us in the room that had the most perfect dads, it's never enough. Dad can't fulfill our soul. But God can. So I'm talking to you this morning about meeting with your heavenly father every day not out of habit or routine or to fulfill your religious duty, but to meet with your Father to be loved. Because there's something wrong with a person who doesn't want loved. There's something wrong with a person who, doesn't, who won't admit they need love. And if I don't, then I have nothing to give anybody else. And I'm just running through life empty, but we have gotten used to disappointment. We've gotten used to the own, our own disaster that is this world and our families and just life in this earth. We've just gotten used to having to be tough and suck it up, keep a stiff upper lip. And in some cases, our dads told us that. And there's a right way to do that. There's a right time where you got to tell your kid to quit whining and be tough. But, but every day, every day, we were made for communion with God. He walked with Adam and Eve twice every day. 
in the morning and at sunset. And that's all he created us for. He had a billion angels to do all the work. He created us just to be together and have fun, talk and be loved and to love him. And all through the Old Testament, he keeps saying, I, all I want is for you to be my people and I will be your God. That's all I want. Just live with me. But we get up out of bed in the morning and something's wrong. When, when it isn't our first desire and our first thought, I need God. I need to be loved. I need to love him. So in answer to our needs, which he put there on purpose, God says, you have my constant attention. I'm so enamored with you, I count your hair while you're asleep. My eyes are always on you. You have my constant attention. You have my complete and eternal commitment. I will never leave you. I will never reject you. I will never leave you. He says, you have my unearned love. You cannot earn it. And I know that and I don't want you to try. I just love you and I forgive you. You have my instruction and teaching and discipline and my ever-present help. He's always present to help us. He says, I promise faithfulness to you. Even now, Jesus is at my side, constantly praying for you. That's scripture if you don't know that. Jesus and the Father are constantly talking about you. He says, I'm jealous for you. You are mine forever. You belong in my house and you belong at my table. I love you equally to all my children. You are not at all inferior. You can be secure in my love. I chose to make you. I chose to love you. I chose to forgive you. And I want you as my son. I want you as my daughter. Come to me every day and receive. Put your hands up and I will pick you up and I will hold you. Come as a little child and receive your Father's love. Come every day and receive. Meet me every day and be loved. Come to me, all who thirst, and I will fill you. Come to me with your heavy burdens and I will give you rest. I will meet your every need. So that's your invitation. That's the longing desire. His word is yearning in Jeremiah 31. I yearn to take care of you to hold you, to comfort you, to kiss your tears, to encourage you to laugh together, we'll play together, we'll work together. So come every day and receive my love. That's the word of the Lord. I want to add that can't happen accidentally or haphazardly or while you're scrolling TikTok and Instagram. It happens in the secret place. It happens when you turn your phone off or throw it in the other room. And you get away from everyone else. And you just let God have it all. Your laughter and your tears and your anger and your questions. And your pain and your joy. You just let him have it all. Just be the three-year-old. 
I mean, emotions up and down everywhere within a 10-minute span. And God knows that's you too. And just give it all to him. It happens in that private, secret place. And it can happen multiple times a day. It can happen while you're driving, in the shower, in the garden, in the woods. Make time. Make space. Close the door. Meet with your father in the secret place. And be loved like you've never imagined. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you, Jesus, for revealing the love of the Father to us. Thank you. Thank you for your promises. You will never leave us or forsake us, that you're constantly aware that you are watching, and you're not just objectively good from the other side of outer space, but you are attentive. You know us intimately. You know the hairs on our head and every secret of our hearts. Lord, forgive us for taking lightly your invitation to meet with you in the secret place every day in the cool of the day. Thank you for the honor of your presence, for the joy, the thrill, and the ache to know you, to be with you, to be loved by you, and to give you our love and our thankfulness and our confession and our repentance and to be washed clean and to know purity and love like we never imagined. Lord, forgive us for getting used to disappointment, for thinking we have to be tough, for thinking that it's proud to admit that we have a need. You created us to need love. And then life and all the people around us and religion has taught us just to be tough and ignore that. But Lord, life hurts and we have questions and we have needs and, and there's nowhere else to go, Lord. You alone can fulfill us. You alone can answer the questions. You alone can save and redeem and heal. So thank you for putting your holy place in our hearts that we carry you with us wherever we go. Lord, I pray again for creative ideas for each person here in their own schedule with their own kids and their own job and whatever else they've got going on, Lord, you give them, give us creative ideas for how and when we can create a secret place apart from the rest of the world. It's just you and us. You would unlock our hearts, unbind our hearts, Take everything bad that we've got going on and give us everything good that you have. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your attentive love. We bless you this morning in Jesus' name.